We have two readings this morning. The first one's from the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. That's the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or to be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favour in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And we can have second reading from the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Each break-up, do you think, on this question? I'll show you on the screen. A little bit hard to see, but 63.5% said forgiveness. 63% said forgiveness. 19% said justice. We need justice. So I don't know what you make of that. Uh, why do you think people favoured forgiveness? Any thoughts? Uh, are we feeling guilty? <laughs> uh, do we feel like, yeah, we have messed up? Um, is that the kind of the way we think about God, that he's the one who should bring forgiveness? We think of him as a forgiving God more than a judging God. Um, 
it's largely also part and parcel of our, our, this part of the world, isn't it? We live in comfort, we live in safety, uh, we live with wealth, and that means we actually take justice for granted. Uh, as, a, as I said, I didn't pray this week for justice for myself, but I did pray for forgiveness. Uh, and, and so our need is towards forgiveness more than justice. And perhaps if you surveyed people from another part of the world, imagine su- surveying people in parts of Africa, uh, where they're in the cycle of pov- uh, poverty, living under a corrupt government, or someone in stuck a family in domestic violence. I think the stat would be the other way, wouldn't it? Um, we need justice, um, crying out for justice more than forgiveness. Now, what's also interesting about these stats is there's a whole lot of little smaller categories. Some people wanted to um, nuance their answer. Uh, so 12, I think it was, uh, let, me, let me go back and see. Um, I think it was 12% said both. We need both justice and mercy. And then others said, oh, it depends on the circumstances. But is it, it is interesting that some people said we need both. We need both forgiveness and justice. We need them actually to happen together. And I reckon there's something in that, and we're going to explore that a bit further this morning, because if you've read through your Bible, if you know something of the God of the Bible, you'll know that that's actually the character of God, isn't it? The true and living God... Who is he? He's both, he, he's the God of love, right? God is love. And what does that mean when you read through the Bible? The God of love is the God who loves justice. Absolutely clear, loves justice. Loves justice more than anyone. Uh, who will not let evil go unpunished. Uh, who is an unrelenting and completely fair judge. The one who's appointed governments to administer justice even now. Uh, The one who will bring that great day of judgment, the final judgment on the last day, where every heart will be unveiled, every deed will be uncovered and judged. That's the God of love. Also the God of love in the Bible is the God of enormous mercy, enormous forgiveness, enormous patience. Okay, We see both those characteristics characteristics for the God of love in the Bible. Even in that um, Bible passage that Haley read out, Exodus 34, did you notice it there? It's actually the God of mercy and forgiveness that gets emphasised in the Bible, but don't ever think God is not the God of justice too, and both together are the God of love. Now let me read that Exodus, the part of Exodus 34 again, when God reveals himself to Moses, here's what he says, Here is who I am, God is saying. The Lord, the Lord is who I am. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So that is the God who is real, who is true, who is living. And you also see it in the person of Jesus too, don't you? Uh, Who do you see in Jesus? Think about Jesus for a moment. He's absolutely scathing about the hypocrites. He's unrelenting about sin, isn't he? Uh, He's not backing down on judgment and hell. He takes sin and hell and judgment, eternal punishment very seriously. And at the same time, he's the man who welcomes sinners. Uh, the man who eats with tax collectors and prostitutes, 
who forgives sins, who gives up his life so people might be forgiven. Uh, There is the God of love in the flesh, in Jesus, both forgiveness and justice beautifully together. But here's the thing, I reckon we struggle to get forgiveness and justice together. Uh, Have a think about that with me for a moment as we think about those topics. Now, about give an example of this, about a month ago, I got a letter in the mail, well, actually came through the church office, uh, and here's a replica of it, um, from the New South Wales government, from the New South Wales Service Centre, or the old RTA, right? And when you get one of those letters, what are you thinking? <laughs> they, they come via the office, which is just a little embarrassing. Um, they issue rego, but my rego's not due. I'm thinking, I've done the wrong thing. Um, and I'm think, as I'm opening up the letter, I'm saying, oh, please don't let, this is going to be a speeding fine. How am I going to explain this to admin committee? <laughs> the, car, the car's registered in the church's name. I open up the letter and there it is. As, as I'm opening the letter, I'm thinking through all the times that I've, oh, gee, I've, it could have been any time. What about the time I was here? Whatever. I open up the letter and there it is. Guilty. Up to 10 k's over the speed limit on Wyong Road. There's the time, there's the place, there's the reg of your car. It's undeniable. Uh, it's you. But then I look, down the, I look down a bit further and it says driver and it says the Lakes Evangelical Church. <laughs> but then it says nominate driver. <laughs> I'm thinking, actually, who was driving the car? <laughs> There's only two people that drive our car. One of, them's we- one of them's me, one of them's Natalie. And so you can go online and you can check the photos to see who was guilty. Um, and by this time, all three of my girls were suddenly interested. They all went to the computer with me, had a look at those granular, and there's a beautiful picture of my lovely wife. Guilty. And then we're discussing as a family um, okay, she's going to lose some points. We have to pay the fine. It's all good. Um, but next, my, one of my daughters says to me, Dad, does that mean that you have a clean driving record? And I thought, this is too good an opportunity not to, not to teach about sin. Uh, I said, kind, yes and no. Really, the answer is no. Um, if you go to the RTA, there, there's no record against me. Okay, I haven't had the speeding fine, I haven't lost points. But that doesn't mean I'm clean, right? It just means I haven't been caught. Um, I'm just as guilty as Natalie. When I was opening that letter, I was fearing it because I knew that I was guilty. Um, If I was completely innocent, I'd have nothing to worry about. We're we're both just as equally guilty, but she was caught on that occasion. Now, the other thing with this, this speeding fine was you can apply for mercy, uh, have you noticed this? You can actually apply for forgiveness. Um, and I reckon here's where our distorted heart comes in a little bit, and you might relate to this. Um, isn't it true that... So I'm really keen to apply for mercy on this occasion because it actually affects us financially. Uh, I don't want to pay the fine. Isn't it interesting? We're really keen on forgiveness when it applies to us. Uh, we're not so keen on justice when it applies to us. We don't want forgiveness to go to other people. We want it to come to us. We want justice to go to other people. 
And so it's interesting with the speeding fine. I want to be forgiven. Well, I don't want, you know, if someone was speeding down my street and I thought that was dangerous, I, I don't want them to be, I want them to learn a lesson and have justice. So it's kind of a bit distorted, isn't it? We're inconsistent. And if we do get off the fine, we're happy. But has justice been served? Has, has forgiveness actually obliterated justice? Uh, is it actually possible to have both? See, it gets tricky, doesn't it? Let me give you a more serious example of, both, of trying to obtain both justice and forgiveness. Some of you would remember the Lockerbie Air disaster. Um, so 1988, Pam Am Flight 103 was flying from Frankfurt to Detroit. I think there's a, there's a picture here. When a bomb on board killed all 243 passengers, 16 crew and 11 people on the ground in Lockerbie, Scotland. I think there's a, there's a photo there, no? No, it's gone, it's disappeared. Um, now, there was a three-year in- investigation. A Libyan intelligence officer by the name of Al Magrahi was found responsible for the bombing and convicted of 270 counts of murder. Now, you think about that. He's killed, he's purposely killed 270 people. Now, what, what justice, what sentence would be enough for people to come out of the, for the, for the families of the victims to come out of the courtroom to say, justice was done? Uh, now, a Scottish judge did give him life in prison, and that's just as much as you can get, isn't it? It's just, you'll never see the light of, light of day. You're, you're going to prison and you're not coming home. But in August 2009, Al McGrahi developed advanced prostate cancer and he applied to the, to the court for mercy. So his wish was to re- spend the remaining years of his life with his family in Libya. Now, his wish was granted by the Scottish government and his family got to enjoy the last three years of his life uh, with him before he died in 2012. Now, that is, that is a story of mercy, isn't it? Uh, he is guilty. We are going to take mercy on you. Uh, you are going to be able to go home. And of course, his family were very pleased to be able to spend those last three years with him uh, in his home country uh, as before he died. But how do you think the families of the victims felt about that judgment? They would have felt ripped off, wouldn't they? We don't get to enjoy uh, the life of the loved one that you took um, without mercy and yet you are enjoying mercy that seems to come at the cost of upholding justice you see how hard it is to get it how do you do it how do you maintain justice but also be merciful they're actually often in tension with each other aren't they let's think more about why both of them are good Uh, why is justice good and on your outline there you There's something there for you to fill out. Um, Justice is good because it upholds good relationships. Uh, That's the first one to fill in. Justice upholds good relationships. Because what does justice do? Justice actually sets a standard, doesn't it? It sets an expectation. Uh, It says this is what is right, this is what is fair, this is what is moral. Uh, This is the order uh, that will promote good relationships in the community. Um, So think about that in terms of the road rules. The road rules are actually there so that we relate to each other in a loving way on the road. Try to, yeah? 
Um, that's the aim of the law, uh, to set that standard. Or think about work. Uh, you can't just do whatever you like at work if you're an employer or an employee. There's actually rules and regulations, isn't there? There's, there's a standard, there's justice, that for a certain amount of work, you should receive a certain amount of pay. Uh, if you're employing someone and, and they're working for you, there's certain conditions that you need to meet. Uh, that is justice, that is good for relationships. And along with those, that, that order comes accountability. Uh, if, if that order is worth preserving, uh, we don't always like accountability, but if that order is worth preserving, if it's good for relationships, then you've actually got to hold people accountable, don't you? If you hold them accountable, you're saying, no, no this is really important. Uh, this really matters. Uh, holding people accountable for the standard that justice promotes is important. And so it's actually right to punish when you break that justice code, isn't it? And punishments vary, don't they? Of course. Uh, there are different punishments for different crimes. But what, what varies the punishment, do you think? Uh, what, what is going through the judge's mind or those who make the laws, surely it's how serious the crime is, isn't it? In other words, how valuable, how precious is the thing or the person that we're trying to protect that the punishment would match that? Does that make sense? Um, so, you know, you, you get drunk, you get in your car and you hit a dog, you should get something for that, shouldn't you? You should, that's not right. You've been irresponsible, You've done damage to an animal. But if you get drunk, you get in a car and you hit a person, you've actually upped the stakes at that point, haven't you? A person's more valuable than a dog. The punishment is going to be higher because the punishment must fit the crime to say that that person is important. It matters uh, even more than anyone. So different, per different punishments because different value. Now, you're probably aware, familiar with this horrible story of child sex abuse in USA Gymnastics. I think we raised it about a year ago, because it was about a year ago, it all came out in the media. Uh, the team doctor, Larry Nasser was convicted of sexually abusing 156 children over more than a decade. Just a completely awful story uh, that's all too common these days. Such a horrible crime affecting so many lives, and sadly an evil that we just just keep hearing about, isn't it? Uh, but this is one of those stories that really break your heart. One of the survivors uh, was Rachel Den Hollander. Uh, there's, a, there's a picture of her in court. Incredibly brave woman. She, she was the first to speak out and give her testimony in court. And here's what she said before the judge handed down her sentence. Who is going to tell these little girls that what was done to them matters? that they are seen and valued, that they are not alone and they are not unprotected. And I could not do that. But we are here now and today that that message can be sent. And this is what she says to the judge, with the sentence you hand down, you can communicate to all those little girls and to every predator, to every little girl or young woman who is watching, how much a little girl is worth. I ask you, hand down a sentence that tells us that what was done to us matters. And that says it all, doesn't it? The sentence says 
that it matters. A light sentence says it doesn't matter. A heavy sentence says, no, this is serious. This really matters. And so Larry Nasser was sentenced to 170 years in prison, which is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? But it's, kind of, it's just saying it's the life sentence times three or whatever it is. It, how, again, how can you have a big enough sentence when you've done such evil to so many people? He'll never come out of jail. And so what, justice is a good thing, isn't it? It sets the standard. It says what you've done matters. If there's no justice, what's the implication? It doesn't matter. Uh, it's not important. You're not important. We don't care. And the greater the offence, the more personal the offence, surely the greater the punishment in order for it to be just. Now that's justice. Now, what, now there's a limit to justice, isn't there? The limit to justice, there's something that justice can't do. Justice can't repair broken relationships. That's what forgiveness can do, can't it? Forgiveness can repair broken relationships. Uh, That's what makes forgiveness very beautiful and very powerful, doesn't it? Uh, It's actually able to restore, to make that bridge again Without forgiveness, we're actually left with fractured relationships. We're in a world of pain. Uh, and, and we know that in all kinds of relationships, don't we? A long friendship. I mean, think about someone that you've been friends with for a long time. It actually requires forgiveness, doesn't it? Because they have hurt you and you've hurt them and you need to offer forgiveness in order for the relationship to continue. Marriage is another example, isn't it? Um, we keep hurting one another, we keep breaking our vows. And what is required is forgiveness so that we might keep going on. But it's actually hard, isn't it? Forgiveness is is one of those things that it's not easy. If you think it's easy, well, you haven't actually been hurt enough. it, It is hard to forgive. There's something costly about forgiveness, isn't it? It's almost like, gee, if I forgive, am I saying that's okay? Am I dismissing it? Um, am I, is, is justice going to be compromised if I forgive? Um, this kind of thing comes up in parenting, doesn't it? Lots of issues of justice and forgiveness come up in our family. We've always tried to teach our girls, if you're the offender, you should say sorry. Okay? Uh, if you've done the wrong thing, you should, you should come out and own up and say sorry. And if you're the offended, you need to work at forgiveness. Uh, but it's actually deeper than that, isn't it? You, I need to press harder with myself and with my kids. The offender needs to say, I am sorry for fill in the blank. And that's the blank that often goes missing in our family, right? What are you sorry for? What, what is the sin What is the offence? What is the hurt that you've actually realised in yourself that you are sorry for? It's very important, isn't it, to own up because then the offended can say, what you did is not okay, but I forgive you. It's not okay, but I forgive you. There's a famous theologian by the name of Miroslav Volf. Um, He's a Croatian, I think you can tell from his name. Uh, who's grew up with a lot of injustice and has dealt, is, um, 
kind of dealt with this issue a lot in his life and in his country. And here's what he says about forgiveness. He says, If I say I forgive you, I've implicitly said that you have done something wrong to me. But what forgiveness is at its heart is both saying justice has been violated and not letting that violation count against the offender. Uh, See what he's saying? Yes, justice has been broken, but I'm not going to let the violation count against you. Very hard to do, isn't it? But very, very good. Now, what 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 do we learn from about forgiveness and justice from God as we come to that part? Well, God's justice is supremely good uh, because he is the God of justice. His good order is good, um, expressed in lots of different ways in the Bible, but perhaps best summarised by Jesus when Jesus says, what what is the good order? How do you live God's way? Uh, What does God require of us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Uh, love your neighbour as yourself. They're the two greatest commandments that summarise all of God's good order. And as you think about those, what a, what a wonderful world the w- world would be if that's the way people lived, yeah? Now, what's the problem with that? We don't live that way, do we? We've actually broken God's law. Uh, we all struggle uh, to get anywhere near obeying uh, God's good order. Um, we don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul and mind all of the time. Our hearts, our thoughts, our actions are so often far from God. Or even loving our neighbour as ourselves, we struggle, don't we? We know how we want to be treated and yet we struggle even to treat people the way we would like to be treated. We have our own standards of what's right and wrong and yet so often we can't even meet our own standards. And so we fail on that one as well. And the Bible's very clear on that. Romans chapter 3, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, And it doesn't matter whether you've fallen short a million miles or uh, 100,000 miles. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not just like it's an arbitrary breaking of some law, is it? It's actually an offence against a personal God, a God who loves us, who made us. Uh, Jesus uses that... uh, parable of the prodigal son the lost son to describe how offensive sin is i remember that the story of the of the youngest son who says to his dad i want my inheritance you know i don't want you i want your money can you imagine saying that to your dad and then going and leaving your dad and spending his money and enjoying life without him and and the bible says that's what sin is it's deeply offensive it's deeply personal when we say to God, I'm happy to put you in the corner um, and live life my own way, uh, enjoy the good things that you've made without you. That's not just rude, is it? <laughs> that is serious rebellion, isn't it? That is a seriously personal offence. And as we've seen this morning, the punishment needs to fit the crime, doesn't it? Uh, if God is worth anything... If we are worth anything, if God's going to hold us accountable as real, responsible human beings, um, then there needs to be a punishment for that rebellion, doesn't there? Uh, remember what we said, the greater the one offended, the greater the punishment. The punishment actually reflects the ultimate worth of the offended. Now, 
some people just dismiss uh, the offence before God, don't they? God should just forgive and forget. Um, but we wouldn't even say that to someone, a, a human being who's been personally offended. You would not dare say that to Rachel uh, Den Hollander, would you? That is the most offensive thing to say to her. She's been deeply hurt and injured and damaged uh, as, a, as a person before God. How much more our offence to God? And you think, what would satisfy the anger of an eternal God of infinite worth and glory and majesty, our creator? Well, it's eternal punishment, isn't it? That God takes it so seriously. It is so, such a deep personal offence that he takes our choice to not obey and love him very, very seriously. And yet, what does the Bible major on? The Bible majors on the good news, doesn't it? That there is forgiveness, that there is mercy, there is hope if we come to God and say, sorry. Now, how, how good is that? Look, at, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, as, we, as we finish up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, fantastic little passage. Look at verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So he's not saying sin doesn't matter. He's saying sin really does matter. But here is God reconciling, repairing that relationship between us and God by not counting people's sins, not counting our sins against us saying, there are your sins, they are cancelled. There are your sins, but you are innocent. You're, I'm going to declare you innocent. There are your sins, but you are free. Uh, you deserve punishment, but you will not receive punishment. How can God do that? I thought it meant if, if he says, if it's forgiveness, are we saying it doesn't matter? No, we're not. he's not saying it doesn't. He, are we saying he doesn't care? No, he does care. He doesn't sweep sin under the carpet. He takes it very seriously. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can you see what's happened? A great exchange taken place, isn't it? That is the beautiful message of the gospel, isn't it, of Jesus. That Jesus, who was innocent, who knew no sin, uh, became sin. Uh, had the sin of the world laid upon him and was punished, God's anger poured out on him at the cross so that me, the guilty one, might be declared innocent, might be forgiven of all my sins. It's a, it's a, a beautiful exchange, a very costly exchange for Jesus that means my sins can be paid for. I can be forgiven. I can have freedom and, I'll, and will never face uh, the judgment of God. I can stand right before God, friends with God. That is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Uh, God is taking justice very seriously, taking our offence, our sin very seriously. He's taking mercy and forgiveness very seriously. Now, you might want to find out more about that. Uh, let me quickly talk to you about Simply Christianity. Um, we've been having, we've kicked off on Tuesday night. It's a great time. We're having dinner together exploring who Jesus is. So you're welcome to join us on Tuesday night uh, or you might want to kick off in February on Sunday nights. Um, so if you're still thinking about these things, who is Jesus? Um, 
you know, should I trust him? What does it mean to be forgiven? Uh, make sure you tick the box today and we'll get in touch with you. But as we, as we finish up this morning, um, these, are, these are big topics, aren't they? Forgiveness and justice, they have massive implications for us and our relationship with God. You know, are we right with God? Are we friends with God? Are we still a rebel? Are we going to face his judgment? Are we going to be forgiven? Yes, we can be forgiven. We can have confidence. That, that's a wonderful thing. Also has huge implications for the way we treat one another too, doesn't it? It actually has implications for the way we forgive uh, and implications for the way we uphold justice as well. Uh, back to Rachel Den Hollander. Uh, let's put her back up on the screen there. She had an opportunity to make a statement to Larry Nasser uh, in the courtroom, um, uh, like a, a victim statement about the impact uh, and what she would like to say as he uh, spends the rest of his life in prison. And can you imagine being in that situation? Can you imagine how angry you would be that your life has been ruined and the lives of over a hundred other people have been ruined? What would you say uh, to a man when you came face to face with that man who's committed such evil? Plenty of people, plenty of good people have said, rot in hell, haven't they? Uh, that's, your, that's your punishment, that's your due. How could you say, could she say, I forgive you without diminishing the punishment, the crime, without it feeling superficial? Um, is the life sentence in prison enough? How could it be enough? It's the same old issue, isn't it? Well, here's what she said, because she's a follower of the Lord Jesus. And I think it's absolutely incredible uh, and completely unique uh, because she trusts in the Lord Jesus and understands forgiveness and justice from Jesus. This is what she says. In our early hearings, she says to Larry, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you've spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you've read the Bible you carry, the Bible you carry speaks of a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you've done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. That encapsulates it, doesn't it? That is an incredible statement. She has really grasped hold of Jesus and his work on the cross. She's grasped hold of it for herself. She's grasped hold on for her abuser. She actually gets what Christ has done at the cross and what he will do on that last judgment. Can you see that only real, true, deep forgiveness comes through Jesus? A real, true, deep justice only comes when you understand Jesus and what he's done. Um, that it is actually possible to have real justice and real forgiveness together, uh, but only in Christ. Um, all of these things are, are the part of the beauty of the gospel. Um, as we conclude, why don't I pray? 
Our great Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for the forgiveness that's possible in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Not a forgiveness that is cheap, but incredibly costly for the deep offence of our rebellion against you. Father, once again, uh, for for many of us, uh, we've prayed this prayer so many times, but, but perhaps for some of us it's the first time. We are sorry for our sins. Please forgive us. And thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross on our behalf. Uh, Thank you that he faced the penalty for my sin, that I might be forgiven. Uh, Father, please uh, help us to live your way, to live with you as king, uh, not as rebels, but as sons and daughters of yours. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.